Welcome back to NLP's Young Professionals Network podcast, Growing in the Green Industry. Your hosts of today's episode include myself, Miles Caparis of Include Software, Neil Glatt from Grow the Bench, Luke Belangrado of Mariani Landscape, and Brett Lemke of RM Landscape. Nice to see you guys today. How's it going? Yeah, oh, great, Miles. Happy hey, Miles, Thursday. How are you? I'm good. It's a yeah, it's it's a good Thursday. I had a moment today where I was like, oh, it's only twelve o'clock, and then it's like, oh, shoot, now it's that that went by and went, went by fast uh, real quick. The week so creeps up when every week we have this right doing, and the week just is comes to this moment fast, so real fast. It's good though. I enjoy this time with you guys. So, um, yeah. So, uh, so we have a we have a guest today, and um, Neil, would you like to give an intro on that? Sure. So our guest this morning is Chris Joyce. Chris is the president of the Joyce Companies, consisting of the following green industry companies, Joyce Landscaping Inc., Always Green of Cape Cod, and Grassroots Irrigation. He received an associate degree in landscape contracting from the Stockbridge School of Agriculture and a bachelor's degree in urban forestry from the University of Massachusetts. He's a member of the Stockbridge School of Agriculture Alumni Advisory Board, the National Association of Landscape Professionals Foundation Board, and he's also the past president of the Cape Cod Landscape Association. Chris is also a Massachusetts certified landscape professional and the past chair of the Barnstable Public Schools School Committee. He lives in Marston Mills, Massachusetts with his wife, Allison, and four children, where he's very active in the local community and charities and president of the Barnstable Youth Football Program for the past 13 years. Anything I missed, Chris? Nope, sounds good. Cool. Well, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Neil. Should we talk about your excitements at Leaders Forum right now, or should we bring those up a little later in the conversation? I, I, I mean, I think that could come up that. at any time. Okay. All right. I just, uh, there's, there's, there's good stories there, everybody. Really, really fun stories. I, I know. I felt like I was kind of on the outside on that one. So That's I'm, why you all need to be in Hawaii at Leaders Forum. Is that a good plug right now? NLP Leaders Forum plug. Yeah. We all, yeah, to, see, I, to see Chris in, in, in firsthand would be in Hawaii. I think we need to do a uh, a live a live episode there, yeah. so you know we yeah. figure out a way to get us all down there this year. Yeah, <laughs> sponsors, we're for yeah. sale. Hit us up. <laughs> we're open for that. So, I mean, women women's in a the the women in land, the green industry group they got Bayer to sponsor them. So, uh, young yeah. professionals, I mean, you know, I think we we have a spot for that, right? Well. We'll our, our listenership numbers are phenomenal. I That's know good. That much. Yeah. All right. Let's get to let's get to know Chris. So Chris, uh, so we got your bio down. Uh, you operate three businesses. So tell us a little bit how you got into that spot of running three different businesses. Are they under one brand name, or obviously not under one brand name? But like, how how do you run that? So obviously, we started out. In the landscape contracting business, you know, I started out like everyone else cutting grass as a kid and it evolved. And, you know, we, so we had Joyce Landscaping and we were outsourcing our fertilization services. And I was not, I really could not find a vendor that I was very happy with. So about 13 or 14 years ago, I started a division. Um, it was under the Joyce name and it was going fine. But what we were finding was in lawn care, the people that just want basic lawn care, we're not going to call Joyce Landscaping. We're a high-end residential uh, installation maintenance business. And they weren't going to call us to, to 
to fertilize their lawn. And I, we needed a couple uh, reps to, to handle our business. And I, I made the decision, let's do this and let's really do this. So I peeled it off, started its own company and um, built it into a, you know, it's about a 15 person uh, operation. And when they work for Joyce, they're a subcontractor. Um, and it's worked out really well. They do a really good job. They've got good market share where we're at. Um, and it's, it's been a great relationship. Um, and, you know, so I own the company, but I have a, a general manager who's been with me since day one, who does a phenomenal job, has grown the business. Um, and we work for a lot of other landscapers. And other landscapers never would have hired Joyce. So it's worked out really good. Um, and we've got a great logo and a great band, brand. Um, but I do market them all under the Joyce companies. That's pretty cool. And then um, the irrigation business, that was a sub of ours that I bought that business about 10 years ago and has always kept it as a separate business. Um, and they are a sub when they work for us as well. Um, and that's, that's worked out great. Nice. So when was day one for you? Day one. Oh God. I mean, day one, I think I started cutting grass in my neighborhood when I was 10 years old, but legitimately hanging a shingle and paying taxes was um, January, uh, February of 2005. There you go. So I got out of college in December 94, December of 94. And, um, you know, I had a couple of junky trucks and what I thought was a business, but it wasn't. And then I got real serious in uh, that following February. So then, so with all that, so you grow from one, 2005 to how many employees now? Across. We peaked out this season at 185. Oh, nice. And what percentage of those people do you think are younger professionals? What do you consider young professionals under 40, 40 and under, 40 and under? Yeah. 40 and under. <laughs> 40 and under? 40. Yeah. I'm still squeaking in by that one by this year. So about a hundred. About a hundred. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's a significant majority then. Yes. So then, how many, how many, uh, what do you consider like new grads, like five, six years out of school? Probably uh, 30. Wow. That's pretty cool. Nice. So I think there's a lot to talk about, like right there. So, um, so 30 out of 185. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Brett. Well, I was just saying, how did you find yourself with those kind of numbers with that, where the, the majority of your team being under that 40 mark? I mean, what was it just naturally happening that way or did you? You design it that way. I did not design it. That's just kind of how it has evolved. Um, you know, I, I think in these industries, the good the good employees kind of rise to the top and get promoted. And I think if you're in a if you're in the landscape business and you've been in it ten years and haven't really grown, sometimes I find that's when they go try to find another career. <clears throat> and, and I think that's why we're constantly in that forty under range. And um, you know or your large number because, you know, we're cycling through that 10 year cycle. And that's what I really feel it is. You have, a, you might have a really good employee, but he's never going to get to an operations manager or an account manager. And they get sometimes stale or frustrated. And they usually, that's when I find that they, they leave the industry. So what, what do you do with that employee? Like what's the conversation with that employee? Cause that can be, you know, a really, tough situation for the business, for the employee. It could be a negative experience, right? It could be a very negative experience. And in and, and a conversation might go, you've brought a lot of assets to this business and you, you've got a good future here. 
but what you're looking for, you you have not you have not taken the test. You have not, you know, we've laid out the career path that they, you know, that a lot of people have taken advantage of and some have not, and they just think through time they deserve it. Well, it's they're not showing the skill set to do that. And you know, you try to in your yearly reviews and whatnot to continually point these things out and show them how they can climb the ladder. But if they're not going to take the initiative and, and I, I find 30% of, if, if you have a hundred people, 30% want to grab the ring, the rest of them, you know, I just don't find or I have the initiative. They're great employees. We all need the middle of the, the group employees, but they're never going to lead a, a department or a, or a, a profit center for you. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think we've we've talked about that uh, quite a few times on here where it's, you know, when you go into a company as a young professional, the company takes those steps. They lay out the, you know, the career path, the career ladder for you. Um, but a lot of times I think people just look at it and say, okay, well, now it's it's still on the company to make sure that we're we're climbing that ladder. And, 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 and I think it's the complete opposite. I mean, we, we've said it before. I mean, as a young professional, you have to, you have to take that initiative. You have to take those steps and, and want to move up and want to advance and, and, you know, quite frankly, keep, keep on your managers and your leaders that, Hey, you know what, I'm, I'm here. I want to do this. I want to move up. I don't want to just be this person. Um, and and on on the opposite side, I mean, like you said, there's some people who aren't going to do that, and that's perfectly fine. There's there's people who don't want to climb that career ladder, and they're perfectly fine with just being a labor or being a crew leader, um, you know, a supervisor or whatever. They don't want to take that that next step to be, you know, the ops manager or um, you know, director of sales, you know, whatever kind of positions you have open in your company. And I, I always think back when I worked for people, I mean, I worked as hard as I possibly could. I was always the first one there. I always worked the overtime. You know, it, it's just I'm finding it's a different uh, tonality or, or, or uh, attitude today. Um, you know, and I've had to become a different manager to manage to that and I manage my team to manage to that. Um, but a comment you made, I love the employee that is very pleased at where they're at in their stage and they want to work at either as a, you know, a, a, a labor or, you know, a foreman and they do a phenomenal job for us. Those, those people can have a great career. Um, where we have issues is where you have someone who's in a position that thinks they just are more than they're at and that they think something's owed to them. That's where I think we're having the problem. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's so important to celebrate that. And I think, you know, our conversations on this podcast are always like career advancement, getting to the next level. Cause I think a lot of our listeners are, but a lot of our listeners are also managing people who need to be in those, those lesser roles and maybe don't have some of the ambition to get up to that next level. And, and what do you do? It can be really frustrating for a manager and the employee to try and push somebody into career development when they're not interested necessarily in career development. Right. So I learned something from a friend of mine who's a, a vice president over at Douglas Dynamics. They make uh, snow plows and stuff. And I'm like, you have all these assembly lines, these, these um, you know, uh, tradespeople who there's, there's, you have to assemble your product, right? You have to be welding stuff. You can't be, not everybody can be a manager. You have this huge need for people to be in these roles. What do you do? 
And he says, yeah, we have two tracks. We have the career development track, which is available for anybody who has that initiative and wants to take it on. And then we have a track called stay and be great. And that's for people who are in their job and they love it and they don't want to be a manager and they just want to show up and be great at it. And we celebrate that equally as much. And I'm like, that is so smart because I don't, I don't know a lot of companies that really number one, have a brand like that. I've never really heard of, but even who celebrate it um, when obviously we have that need, right. For the majority of our workforce actually needs to stay and be great in a role. I made some grave mistakes as a young manager, as we were growing our business where, you know, I just took my best foreman and thought they could be, you know, an account manager, an operations manager, because they were really good at what they did. And those caused some issues. I, I put people in positions that I shouldn't have. Some of them left the company because, it, you know, it, and I didn't know, you know, I was a young kid. I had some success in business and I'm trying to grow and I'm trying to take care of the people, you know, that, um, that took care of me. We obviously, you learn through experience and um, we now go about it a completely different way. But I, I made some grave mistakes putting good technicians into management. Yeah, one, one of my worst years in my career was when I got promoted to a sales manager because I was the best sales guy. And I was excited because I was young and aggressive. And I'm like, finally, right? My raise, my opportunity to make a difference. And I just, I fell so flat because turns out, being a great salesperson and being a great manager were wildly opposite things. And I was so over my head. Um, I, I credit that experience with having learned how to manage a lot better now, like you say, Chris, but uh, I, I, it's so, so funny to me that, you know, our gut instinct is to move people into a role where they've had zero experience because they did another role so well, or because they've just stuck around with us for so long, you know? So what's development look like now? What, what, what have you changed to that works for you, Chris? Recently, um, we do, we post the job. So we, we'll post it. We'll, we'll post it with the cat, you know, experience you needed, classifications, all licenses and whatnot. You need to apply to HR. And then we set up an interview process, which is not just the people that you would be directly working for. We'll have maybe someone from the law, a manager from the lawn care company sit on the interview. We, now we go through an interview process. I have found that the, one of the best moves I've made. Um, so we now post the job, even though in the back of the head, sometimes we think we know who should get the job. We, we've been brutally uh, eyes opened in, in the interview process. <coughs> and it's great to get another set of eyes or people in, in, the, in that process. So that's been uh, really good for us. What do you find, uh, are you, most of those promotions are still internal promotions or are you finding people from the outside coming in at a good success? I strongly, strongly believe the best culture, <clears throat> businesses with the best culture promote from within. So whenever, ever possible, we are going to promote some from within, even if there's going to be a learning curve with it. Um, I, I, I think it, it, I, I, I believe so strongly in it that we will sometimes uh, crawl a little bit before we start jogging um, to promote from within. <clears throat> and it's, it's <clears throat> now that we've got to figure it out, it's worked out really well for us. Right. Do you guys, do you guys promote from within at your company heavily or do you guys, how does that process work? I know you're a little bit smaller than Chris's companies, but yeah, we are. I think I'm, I've learned 
you know, in this short part of this conversation to celebrate, learn how to celebrate those that find careers in an operations role. And, you know, and it isn't about becoming a manager. I, I wonder often if people perceive the managers, you know, there's a living wage that's increased. And so that's exciting. Let me be that. But also do they think it's easier or different. And, and so we have to be better. I think at that, um, a lot of hires are internal. Um, and we've had some success with some outside ones over the last couple of years in some key roles. Um, but I think it's, uh, and this is just my notes are, get better at the interview process inside instead of tapping people on shoulder and saying, Hey, come on, let's bring you up. It's opening that up a little bit more. And I've, and I've been slow to that. Uh, I think a lot of people in my company would say I've been slow to that, but so what, what Chris is doing is just, is just spot on and, and, and really helpful for us to think through some of these pieces. And, and he's right. Like to say, like, it may not be as fast, but you will have much more, I think, a, a, a stronger long-term person with you than a hire from the outside. The outside hires, we've, I think we've all experienced, have, just don't assimilate quickly. They will try to apply something that's just not culturally who we are. And even in, through the best of interviews, there's still risk involved in, in, in that, kind of, uh, that kind of approach. So, and the, the number of people out there is getting less and less. So we're here, we're about 125 people. And so I don't need 125 managers, but man, this is just a great group of people here that I can help grow and move into beautiful roles here. So, uh, you know, why are we constantly thinking that, that our competitors area manager, our competitors ops people are, are better for us? Yeah, no, it makes total sense. And I'm Chris, I'm kind of curious, uh, cause I'm going to read through your bio here, you know, you have, you came from University of Massachusetts, right? You got your bachelor's in urban, fort- uh, urban forestry. So what, what did your journey out of, right out of school look like when, when you're uh, like in your early career? How did you deal with that? So when I got out of college? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. you came to college, were you working for yourself or you're working for so others? I, um, by the time my, I was working every weekend for myself while I was in school, um, I came home every weekend except in the winter and work. So I had a little business by the time I got out of college and I was 23 years old. I would, had eyes as big as I could see. I, I wanted to conquer the world and I wasn't very bright. I'm lucky. I mean, I made decisions and took chances that, oh my God, looking back on them, I'm like, you know. I don't know how I pulled it off, but, um, you know, I worked, I didn't make any money for the first 10 years, to be honest. I mean, we, I grew a business. I didn't understand. I was a landscaper. I wasn't a business person for the first 10 years, um, which, you know, we've done fine, but I, I could be, I could have done things a lot differently. Um, you know, I just thought you bought trucks and, um, I did checkbook accounting. There was money left over in the checkbook and you paid yourself and, you know, I, it took me, um, a, it took me a long time to really get it figured out. Um, I just, I took on everything I could get my hands on. I took on jobs I had no right taking. Um, but we did it. We learned, we figured it out. Um, we had a lot of fun along the way too. I, um, but yeah, I made some, I mean, I, I made some decisions that God bless me. I'm lucky that I'm still in business. Um, but it, it was fun. Do you have one that stands out? that you're willing to share? Oh yeah. Let's go deep here. Let's go deep. So 
we we're like three years in the business and you know i'm i'm a landscaper i i need equipment i need you know all this stuff i think i you know and you know your three years in the business cash flow is tight you know so i'm gonna go buy a backhoe right so i know nothing right i'm i'm i i'm so i borrow a, a trailer from a buddy of mine i go up with a cashier's check twelve thousand dollars for this backhoe i know nothing i don't know that i should have it checked out i mean I get the thing. It's overweighted. I'm driving through. So I'm going north of Boston. Anyone who's been in the traffic in Boston, I'm driving this truck with a tra trailer, this overloaded thing. I have, you know, people are beeping at me. The plug didn't match up to my truck that I'm driving. I get the backhoe. Finally, you know, I get back like nine o'clock at night. I get the backhoe back here. It's like, you know, my employees are like, what, what did you, what is, what did you buy this for? I'm like, oh, you know, we'll use it for planting or whatever. The thing in like two weeks blew the engine, you know, at 12,000 bucks. And I signed up, you know, as is bill of sale, you know, I mean, just like, I'm thinking back, like, what did I need that? For? You know I mean? Just like, that's one that stick. I mean, driving that, that truck and machine through downtown Boston, I, I was like, everyone's beeping at me because the brakes didn't work. I'm just like, Oh my God, no, I didn't get pulled over. Not, you know, everything worked out fine. And I just, it was like, I should have just rolled down my window and thrown $12,000 off the window, but um, <laughs> it is what it is. We used that, we used that machine once. So you use it once. Yeah. And then it blew the engine. So, wow. How, how long did you wait till you bought your, your next, your actual first backhoe after that then? Uh, probably about eight more years. Um, and I, and I bought the little, uh, remember Bobcat came out with a small backhoe. It was, uh, and I, someone else made it, but they branded it. And then I had one, I had that for a while. And then now we, no one wants to run backhoes anymore, but we still have a case backhoe, um, extend a hoe with a three in one bucket. But, you know, you, you ask a young professional in the industry and say, well, you could take the backhoe today. They're like, they think it's like, you know, a, uh, a flip phone, you know, like, well, what do you use those for? You know, it's actually, <laughs> I think it's one of the most useful pieces of equipment in the landscape industry. You know, you can put a set of forks on it. You can grade, you can dig, you can pick up plants, but you know, everyone thinks they need a mini and a, a skid steer to landscape today, but um, we still have one backhoe that we mainly just use for snow. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good story. Um, so, so do you, do you, do you share that lesson with, with all your employees as like, this is an example of what we don't do or like to your executive team, this is an example of, Oh yeah. I tell, I mean, I, I, there's no flies on me. I mean, I'm, I'm as transparent and open. And I, I mean, I, a lot of the, you know, I have, I have guys that have been here for 24, 23, 20, a lot of those guys were here from the beginning. Um, so they know some, they were with me during some of those uh, challenging times. Um, but yeah, it's, it's uh, I remember the, uh, we just recently got rid of, we had our first mini excavator that I bought from Caterpillar and um we kept my mechanic is like chris we can't put any more money into this and it was like you know i was holding on to it like it was like you know my little teddy bear when i was a kid and we finally we got just got a new skid steer and, and um the guy said i'll take this piece you know just basically to make the thing work and i i, I was taking pictures as it was leaving the yard you know it's like it, it, we we put I think we might've spent 30,000 on a bunch of years ago and we probably put another hundred into it to keep it running, you know, all the stupid things, you know, that we've done. But, 
that's another funny story. Yeah, that's, I think that's that, pretty ma- funny. that machine probably came to our shop after that. So don't <laughs> worry, that's we uh, we're in that same path, right? We the iron becomes a really important tool, and you hang on to it, and you get build a good team to build it, and. Uh, Mariani, the thing would have probably got another 30 years out of that too, right? You had to just rebuilt it again too. So, yeah, I mean, we just, uh, last year we just got rid of some mowers. I think that were from the, uh, the early nineties. So, um, so yeah, they would, Ron would have, Ron would have put some, uh, some new, new and en- new engine on it and all new parts and it would have still been out running. I don't know if that considered, I don't know if that's considered back from the nineties, if there's like a whole new, uh, assemblies, but. Yeah, Mariani has some, you guys have some uh, aspiring systems when it comes to equipment maintenance and management. It truly is. It's crazy, but it's awesome. Um, my dad my dad actually had a truck when I was growing up. It was truck number 10. I always remember it was a stick shift Ford uh, F550, uh, just like with a dump body on it. And that truck kept on going and going and going and going. And it was, uh, the whole idea was like, let's just drain the fluids uh, and just like sit it out in the yard and plant some flowers in the bed and all, all around it. And then just like have it there. I was like, this is uh this is the graveyard for, for one of the original trucks of the business. That's, but. So Chris, um, you know, you said over, over time, you know, you made a lot of mistakes and uh, as you were running, growing your business and starting it up and things like that. Um, what, uh, how did you, you know, along the way, did you have mentors that were helping you, you know, point out what you were maybe doing wrong or, uh, I mean, was it all a lot of just, uh, trial and error and you kind of learned it by yourself as you went along? So I think the biggest game changer for me was when I joined at the time, which was Alka, you know, it's Alka, then Planet, now Nalp. And I, you know, started reading like, I remember the first like speaker I saw was Frank Ross and, you know, started to, you know, read his stuff. And then I, I came back from that first conference. I was talking to my accountant, my accountant said, Chris, you need a, a, a control or CFO. And he said, you're doing a great job on the front end of the business, but you, you're a disaster on the back end. So I went out and hired a CFO um, controller. Um, and that was a major change for us. That really, it allowed us to, TT came in within a year, just turn the whole thing around. And, um, and um, it, it allowed us to even catapult further. He had the back end, I had the front end and uh, it, it was a, it, you know, so I think my eyes opened up when I joined Alcor at the time, um, now, uh, now, and, um, and then hiring a, a controller to run the back end of the office was a huge, huge move for us. And then I started looking at things differently, you know, and looking at, you know, learning, you know, we, we, we would, you know, for the first 10 years of business, we never set budgets. We never, you know, we never cost track jobs afterwards. You know, we had funny estimating systems and, 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 you know, we just dot streamlined, streamlined, streamlined. And it's, uh, I mean, we, we can tell you when we bid a job, like I'm sure every one of you, what our bottom line profit should be. Um, we're also really good at forgetting something sometimes on the bid uh, sheet and, and that always works out well though. I'm just, uh, you know, you always get those projects like, uh, who bid this one? But uh, <laughs> no, uh, things are really good. You know, we've been very fortunate. 
What's your day-to-day in the company? Uh, this year, my day-to-day was uh, challenging, to say the least. Um, just with COVID and the expectations and whatever, I almost took a step back this year and had to get really involved in operations again, um, which is not a good use of my time. Um, so I, I'm probably, for a company my size, if anyone shadowed me for a day, I, I consider myself like an old school operator. I'm an early morning. I like to be at this desk long. You know, the only person who's here when I get here is my uh, fleet manager. I'm here. Um, I like to be here like an hour before anyone else gets here. I have a morning meeting with my um, my department heads. Um, and then the day starts and I like to roam around in the morning to, to job sites. And then I try to get back for the afternoon. Um, I do, I still do a fair amount of sales. Um, we do almost 95% residential, high-end residential. Um, I don't do the estimating. I, I bring a lot of the leads in. This, uh, new economy, we, you know, you talk about the, the sort of increase in residential. Have you experienced that in your market? It's out of control. I mean, it's, it's insane, which great, but we, you know, you're built, your infrastructure is built for X, your budget is X. And you have phenomenal clients that are asking for X plus, and you you as a high end operator, you got to figure out how to deliver X plus, and it's it's been a challenge. Um, but you know, when I talk to people across the country that are not seeing the same things that we're seeing, I thank God every day. So, but in order when you when you are over exceeding your infrastructure, it takes strong management to keep the thing together. And it was a challenging spring, very challenging for us. Is that why you offer, you offer like 50 services on your website, right? Like yeah. if there's a service a landscape offers, like you definitely do it. And, and some other random ones too. Is that just like, you want, you want your customer to only be locked in with you for everything? Is that yeah, where so, it comes from? So we live, I live on Cape Cod, which is a, it's an, it's a secondary homeowner market. I want to work in a tight radius. I want to travel, you know, where my shop is. I, I, like, like everyone else, I want to go in a circle. So what I, our, our model is we want to show up. We want to dig your cellar hole, put your septic in, build your chimney, do all your hardscape, landscape your home, and then maintain it after the fact. So it's a, for us, it, we, for like the general contractors and the landscape architects, they love our model because we're this we're getting rid of a number of different subs so we can our our revenue per project is increased incrementally and then we're getting the the reoccurring revenue on the back end so it's allowed us to really control a good portion of the market i, I think it's so smart because when you when you reduce your travel right travel just kills you on any job um in terms of profitability and when you, I always had success growing the customer to be as large as possible, right? So I'm like, I can manage, I don't know, a hundred customer relationships maybe successfully. Either I need to go teach somebody to do that, which is so difficult, or I just need my customers all to get to the next level of growth. And um, that's the, the, I chose the second path and it worked out super well. Um, it sounds like you kind of, I'm sure you have more than a hundred customers, but you know, you have, you have the touch points that you can manage so that you can, you know, you, you don't need this whole team of account managers where it's a different customer experience for everybody. Right. Yeah. What we do 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 though, on like I say, landscape installation project, 
you know, there's the site team, there's the hardscape team, and then there's the softscape team. So it is broke up into three groups as that project goes along. There'll be one PM that's running the whole project, but there'll be different sectors of our operation that are involved in there. And then a fourth sector comes in because we want to, uh, we want the landscape maintenance package at the, at the end of the job. So how do you operate that on the, uh, on the install side with the 1 PM? Do you, do you have another touch person that's managing a relationship too, or is the PM a kind of a one-stop shop for the whole, for the client? He's the one-stop shop for the client and he's coordinating internally between the departments. Um, but for the client, it's one, one touch point. That's pretty cool. Now you the find client may have interaction with, you know, he might have, like a gentleman, Emerson, who's a, 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 he runs one of the masonry, he runs a masonry ops, one of the masonry operations. He, the client might have some relationship with him, but everything goes through the PM. Hmm. Who do you find who's like most successful at those roles in that, in that role of PM? It's a pretty stressful role. Yeah, it's, you know what I find? The best project managers are tough kids that played sports. They kind of grew up through the ranks with us that they, they, they are thick skinned, they can multitask um, and they're able to, you know, they can talk to the employees and they can talk to the multimillionaire client at the same time and, and get the same result by how their approach is. We've been spending a lot of time in that project manager world and just understanding and defining the, the balance between a quality, excellent job to managing to a budget and you know, making this job good for us, not only good for the client, but let's make it something profitable. And it's, and it's been a long conversation and uh, we, you know, and it's about the people in there that really can take that importance and we, and we, the balance of how do you educate that and train that versus, you know, again, why look outside and say, is there that magic person that's out there that is a good project manager that could come in here and just fix things. And no, they need to know who we are and how we operate. Very, in what you just said, it's, it's a balancing act, you know, to, to keep the client happy, stay profitable, um, and make sure that it's getting executed efficiently as possible is, is all, um, especially in some of the projects that we're doing. I mean, we can be there for a year. Um, so it's, it's a challenge. You think uh, this trajectory of increased residential work is, you see it going away, is it, related to COVID in any sense, or you think it's going to be here for the next couple of years? I think it's all related to COVID because I think people are nesting and where I'm at, uh, you know, I'm at the beach. I'm finding clients tell me that they're getting rid of the big houses or they're getting out of their apartments or their condos in the city and the Cape's going to become their main house. And what's just happened in this world or this country is it's going to change the way people do things forever. Everyone thinks, you know, we're going to get a vaccine and everything's back to normal. It's not going to happen. You're going to see um, the world change as a whole. And I think, you know, people with money have money. They're going to have money. They've made so much money in the market in the last five years that they're, um, I, I think a good high-end residential operators are going to be, I mean, we all have to be cautiously optimistic. You know, it's not going to, you know, Santa Claus isn't going to be at our doorstep every single day. We have to be smart, but I think we have a few very good years ahead of us. And I think if you're a good operator, I, I think you're going to, we've got some very good years ahead. Yeah, I think, I mean, we're, it's been very, very similar up by us in Chicago and things like that. I mean, we have a lot of, 
a lot of younger families too who you know living in the city living in those high-rise condos etc and they're they're getting out of them they're selling them they're going back to uh, some of the suburbs or uh, you know the, the clients that we service in in our lake communities that are their secondary homes much like what you guys are servicing chris and I mean, these, these clients are usually coming up for the weekend, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then go back to their, their house in the city. Uh, but that's just, that's, it hasn't been the case this year at all. I mean, they're staying there year round. I mean, we have some clients who they haven't even left. They came up from, uh, from Florida, uh, or from California, whatever, and they're just staying at their lake house. And so, um, you know, we're, we're seeing the same thing. We're getting a lot of opportunity out of it. Uh, and I think, like you said, it's going to, it's going to continue to come for, for the next few years. Nice. Well, I'm going to flip the script a little bit on this one. Um, I want to dive into uh, your experience and uh, your participation in all these associations, right? Um, so you mentioned before that it changed the game when you joined ALCA. Um, now, you know, NALP, uh, what, what value besides just like kind of changing your business, what value have you driven out, gotten out of all these associations between state or national or local? Well, value. I mean, well, I just experience. Yeah. yeah I, mean, value. I mean, for me, the experience, the best experience you get out of any association is what you put into it. Right. So if you want to participate in meet and attend and go to things, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to eat what you, what you uh, plant, right? So for me, these situations, the, the, the networking, the communication, and I have friends all over the country in the same industry that I'm in, that I can pick up the phone at a moment's notice and say, hey, I kind of got this situation. How have you dealt with this in the past? Or, or hey, when you set up your chart of accounts, what are you doing with it? I mean, all of these things, it, it, it's just, it's the networking, it's the, it's the communication, it's the helping each other out. I mean, this industry is unbelievable. It really is. When you get the true professionals together, which, which uh, NALP is, they're willing to help each other because we're in the trenches. This is a hard industry we have. It's, it's, it's a crazy challenging industry. And the respect that we have for each other is amazing. And the willingness to help each other because we wanna see all of us be successful. The better, we, the better the industry is, the better we all do. I say to my own marketplace, I say, I don't care if you know what I charge. I said, I'm a successful, profitable business. And if you're successful and profitable, then we're all going to raise the prices, right? If we all raise the price and more profitable, we're going to pay our people more, which is going to make this a more desirable industry. Everyone thinks you're going to be secretive and hide. And, you know, I, I tell everyone, I said, pay your people more money. If you pay your people more money, we're going to get people coming into our industry. The best thing, the only one of the silver linings of, this pandemic is we're getting people from other industries, right? And they're coming into this industry going, I mean, I can get benefits. I can work year round. Oh, well, I, I can work outdoor. And they're saying, I thought this industry, I'm here out of desire because there was nothing else to do. And now they're here and they're going, I'm not going back to that industry. And it's, uh, it's been a godsend. Um, and we, we've really opened up some eyes in our local market that it's a good, good place to be. So I, I, I think the better job we do helping each other, the better the industry is going to be. 
Yeah, that's a that's a pretty interesting point, and that's kind of like where we're trying to get here with the young professionals, right? Is like have that same community for people or students who are just early on, earlier in their career, because that's a spot I feel like that's kind of been lacking as the industry kind of actually matures almost, right? I've grown up in the industry, but as the industry matures, I feel like there's um, there's a lot, there's a lot of opportunity to like even change and elevate the game even more with younger professionals. So. I missed, uh, we had, you all had a podcast with educators, uh, last week and, and I wondered what, what was their optimism to, uh, people considering, you know, the horticulture or landscape development or design as a career path with, with, you know, the new world do, you know, do they see that this is an opportunity to build because currently the trend for our, for programs through, colleges is obviously declining and, and is scary how low some enrollment numbers are, but I wonder if they see opportunities here. Yeah. One of the standouts from that episode was for me was that they're offering um, a lot of great education that doesn't require a full program. Right. So if you're, you know, early career, or even mid career and you're like, man, I got a tool up to, um, I mean, they were offering technical classes on irrigation to, you know, of course, turf grass science, and then um, all the horticultural stuff as well, um, and even integrations with business. And so a lot of the skills that, um, Chris, you've been talking about acquiring, um, those educators were like, yeah, come on, take one class. Like they, some of them had, depending on the program, some had certificate programs, some had, you know, um, lower level degrees, some had higher level degrees, but uh, really whatever level of investment you're willing to make, um, they're willing to embrace. And that was really interesting for me to hear. Cause I thought that, you know, it's like take two years and go get this degree or, or pass on it. But, um, yeah, if you, if you miss that episode, definitely go take a listen cause it's out now and, uh, learn from, from what they're offering. Cause they're getting innovative on how they're offering programs now. And then partner with companies like ours, right. And, and on this panel and, we'll just continue that education. And I, I think the benefit is, you know, we've, you know, pros and cons of we're an easy entry industry. You don't need a great deal of, of education. You just need the hard work ethic and, and an interest and you could be doing this, but be able to join up in a class or two or, and then further that education with a company, the combination could be really fast and good. And people could be starting to make a living if that's really what's important, make a living pretty, pretty quick. That's great. Yeah, I mean, to Chris's to Chris's point about the the silver lining out of this uh, this pandemic. I mean, we, as I've mentioned on here before, we had kind of the similar situation at the start of the year where so many businesses around us were, you know, the the areas that we pull labor from are uh, heavily. Uh, loaded with restaurants, factories, things like that, all of which closed during, during the pandemic and, uh, or during the start of this. And so uh, we had a lot of people who came and, and worked for us. And I mean, this, at this year, we had, I think, the highest number of people who ever worked for us. We, we exceeded our budgeted headcount, I want to say like 20 or 30 people during the peak season. And uh, over the past few weeks, as some more businesses and things like that have started opening up, I mean, I've had some, some good conversations with people who they, they were working at a restaurant, they were working in a factory and, and they decided, well, you know what, I'm going to, I want to stay here. I enjoy this. I enjoy being outside. You guys have been able to work through this entire ordeal. Uh, we haven't lost any hours. We haven't lost any wages. Uh, I make a good living and you know, 
they, they were very shocked and surprised by that. They, they always say, well, you know, I thought it was just cutting grass and, and this and that. And it's no, there's a lot of opportunity here and, and, you know, you can, you can have a really good career here if you stick around. So, um, to Chris's point, like I said, I think it's a, it's one of the silver linings that's going to come out of this, this pandemic when we uh, get on the back end of it. Chris, I'm, I'm curious um, to hear you weigh in on how you've been doing hiring people. And the reason why is because a lot of times when I speak, people come up to me and they're like, well, you don't understand my market. It's tougher in my market. Now I've, I've managed uh, snow crews in a dozen plus states for my money, Cape Cod, where you are, was the absolute toughest market I ever worked in. It was like, you're not from the Cape. We won't talk to you. I'm like, no, I'm from 20 miles that way. They're like, yeah, different. You're not, you're not one of us. Right. And people used to warn me when we went into New York city for the first time, they're like, oh, the teamsters, like, you know, the construct, they'll run you out. No, New York was fine. Cape Cod was unbelievable. <laughs> so I'm curious because in my opinion, you actually have one of the toughest markets in the U S um, to manage with the high cost of living with, you know, the, the seasonality about it. How have you been finding, um, employing people and, and sort of the talent shortage there? Um, well, it's challenging. It's our biggest challenge we have, um, is attaining, um, the people to, to join in the talent. So, you know, we, our best, uh, our, we're most of our employees come through other employees, right? So there, that's where we're getting all of our leads is saying, Hey, my friend worked at, um, worked at, at, uh, Best Buy, they're closed down. Could you get an opportunity here? And, and once we get them in the door, we're really good at retaining. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, I have that 10 year cycle, but if I get someone that's energized and energetic, I'm, I'm a, I think I'm a high energy person. That's how I lead. I lead my team that way, you know, and what we've done in Neil, if you're used to our market, you know, everyone works on a little warehouses and whatever. I built like five years ago, I, I built this beautiful building with locker rooms. And, and, and so when someone comes here for an interview, if they're going to work in the green industry, the, there's some great operators down here. This, I have some great competition, but I think we provide the best place to, to have a career. It's, and I believe that. And I would tell my competitors that at the same time. And I think we just offer a little bit more and we try to, we try to create excitement. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's, it, do we have challenges yet? Did I fire, did we have to fire two people last week? Yeah, of course we did. Um, and are we constantly training? Yes. But I, I could sit here like and say, well, there's no labor. It's never going to change. Well, then I'm not going to be in business. I have to, like I always say, everyone, you have to build a building with the bricks that you have, right? So this is what I have. I've got to make the best out of it. And people will amaze you. You can get people to, to learn a trade, learn a craft and buy into a team um, really well. Um, and I think we do a good job at it. It's, it takes a lot. I, I spend so much time on our culture. Do you know what I'm saying? It's I'm, I'm, uh, if, if I was ever to retire, I would do be a, a culture consultant because I think that's one of the things I do very well. So let's dive into that a little bit more specifically then. So like, what's, what are your favorite things to talk about, about your culture and to share that makes that, that you feel like that are spots that maybe other people are missing or. We're a family. I know everyone's name. I know, I know your, I, I, I ran into a kid in the parking lot this morning. How's the baby doing? You know, we just had a baby. You know, we make sure that we, when you apply for a job here, 
we get a very detailed profile of how many kids you have, when's your anniversary, when's your birthday. But you know, we I have a database that I manage off of that HR sends me. So every day we know whose birthday it is, we know if it's your wedding anniversary, um, we know if it's your kid's birthday. Um, and I make sure that I know every single person's name that walks in this door. But not in the first week and maybe not in the first two weeks, but I know your name. I, I try to know as much about you as possible. And I, I, cause I worked at places where like your boss would just look through you and that's not a good place to work. So I really work very hard at making people feel like they're part of the family. Do you, do you think that spreads down the chain oh, when you do that? That's how I manage. That's how I lead. And, and it's, 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 it's your responsibility as a manager here to your team of people. You want to know everything about them. And it allows you to be, you know, the other thing too, I told everyone, you got to manage with empathy. Okay. You, you can't, you, I was brought up through sports and asshole bosses. Excuse me. I probably shouldn't have said that on here, but guys, it's just like the militant, you know, and I, that's how I was as a manager at the beginning, but you got to understand people, the world and life is challenging. Okay. Every day people have challenges that we have no idea. So the minute they get out of their car, and walk up the parking lot towards the, the building, you can tell by the jerk in their head if something's not right. I, I tell my management, let's cut that off at the pass and say, okay, what's going on? Is, can we talk about something? And I swear that changes the, the trajectory of how that day is gonna go. And no, you don't have to be a pushover. You, you've just gotta, you've gotta be stern. You, can, you don't have to be their buddy, but you have to understand that you've gotta to get the most out of everybody. You gotta try to think, inside their head a little bit. Yeah. Like whatever it is, right. If it's a family member sick, if it's a, a, you know, bill that's come and due, like, you know, whatever it's, if it's in their head, it's going to stop them from giving a hundred percent on the job. But if you can meet them somewhere and we all go through that, right. We're human. Um, and by the way, I, I think it's not only to get the best out of them, but you said earlier, it's, it's different today. I think everybody has options, right? Like, I mean, you want to, if you make a flipping comment to me and I decide, you know what, I don't need this. I'm going to have a job this afternoon. I mean, it might be Dunkin' Donuts, but it's still going to be 15 bucks an hour down the street, right? Like everybody's hiring right now. And the other thing that we, we express here is this is your career. Okay. This is all of our careers. You have families, you have commitments. You need to get out at two o'clock next Thursday, the 27th, because your daughter has a recital. That's awesome. Fill out a form so we can schedule it. And, and so it's not, we just don't want to know an hour before. We don't want to know that day. We have a form, okay? Y- your son's got a three-day soccer tournament. You gotta, that's fine. Just let us know. And we've done a very good, we have a good system in place. And we've done a very good job at allowing people to live, right? It, it, you know, we obviously, when it's busy, we, we don't we don't take vacation then, but um, you know, we have after 4th of July here, but we make it so you can be a dad, do whatever you need to do. Just as long as you follow the proper procedure policy, it's fine. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the, over the past few years, that's the same mentality that we've started to, to develop here. Um, you know, we get away from the, the managing somebody working, you know, measuring their successes by the amount of hours that they've worked, for example, and, and you measure them on the results. And if they need to get out early and go do something, 
go and do something too. I mean, it's, you know, your kid, like you said, you get, your kids have a, a soccer tournament, a baseball tournament, what have you. Uh, you, you, you take that time and, and you go, you go be with, with your family uh, or take care of your health, et cetera. And, and you're going to have happier people that, that work with you and, and help grow your company uh, as a result of that. Well, if it works on the Cape, I'm sold, Chris. Yeah, it's Neil. It's believe me. I'm making it sound sugar-coated and beautiful. It's got a lot of challenges. We work really, really hard at it. You have to, right? It's yes. Yeah. There's no magic bullet, right? It's just you know, you're never going to get the result you want if you're not out there grinding at it. But there are things that make a difference, and you got to embrace them. You know, if you have the wrong tools, you're never going to get the right product at the end of the day. And I have this comment that I use, and I'm people have heard me speak before. I said all the time, I said, do not become a member of the Breakfast Club of Broken Dreams, right? So when I have an employee that comes in and they're miserable about everything, I said, hey, let's back up here for a second. I said, I'm not, I'm not surrounding myself with negative people. I said, if you want to be a member of the Breakfast Club of Broken Dreams, go someplace else. Because the people that go through life that are woe me and they hate everyone from their dog to their kids to their grandmother to the president to the state representative and they probably kick their dog when they leave the house in the morning. I don't want to be around those people. And I tell people that join our organization, I say, you can do whatever you want here. I said, but the only way you're going to achieve is with a positive attitude. So negativity, I can't, I, that's, I can't take it. I just can't. I can't take it. It drives me cuckoo. Nice. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a, that's a great place to wrap up on, uh, here. Uh, just before we kind of move into our next section here, uh, Chris, do you have anything else that you want to share that's been on your, uh, that's been on your heart or mind that you kind of been feeling passionate about lately? I just think, um, as, as any of us that are business owners or senior leaders in these organizations, we, it's, it's our responsibility to be as profitable as we can so we can pay our people very competitive wages. And that's the only way we are gonna get people to come into this industry. Everyone's like, well, I only pay people this, I only pay people that. Don't be the low baller and then have to low ball your employees. We're never gonna change the face or the picture of what people think this industry is. And in order to have a career where people can live like professionals, they need to make money. We, it's our responsibility as the leaders in this industry to improve that. So that's amen to that <laughs> well and the the to hear the spirit from yourself and your management team to to get excited about that when you put those combinations right they're never going to leave you they're going to do really good work they're going to have fun and this changes the mindset of our industry or the stigma of our industry all work no play and um we did our company picnic two weeks ago, but it was in a picnic. It was just a nice congratulations. And we gave them all picnic picnics to go. And, and you just get those moments to just take a breath and say, this is, this is fun. And we're all going to go work hard or going to have some challenges on a job later or difficult client or whatever, but you still want to be here. You still know that you're supporting your family. You know that you like the people you work with. And I, I, I love it when that combination comes together and, you know, Chris's enthusiasm on this call is, you know, the stories that will not come out about leaders forum, but, but it is just to hear that that enthusiasm <laughs> that Chris has at events and with his, when the network of it is just a fun person to be with. And so I, you know, I'm sure your company is really happy to have you, you know, lead that piece there. So 
Uh, and I always enjoy catching up with you. Yeah, maybe when we get that leadership forum live podcast, we'll bring Chris on. We'll have a Chris special. I'll, I'll, I'll just represent the young professionals there. Don't worry, oh, guys. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, get it to you. Sure you, you will. Sure you will. Sure you will. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Chris, so we do this little section at the end. It's called the Rose and Thorn. With our educators, we learned it was the Rose and Prickle, technically, right? So, whatever you want to do, I don't know, but we're sticking with Rose and Thorn. Really? Is that what I missed on the last podcast? That's, Rose that's, and... that's truly the highlight. You know, okay, like you just yeah. got called out. We got called Miles out. Miles um, has been hung up on it ever since. We're all okay with Rose and Thorn, bro. It's, it's okay. Yeah. It's thrown me off. I like being technically correct. So like when I know I'm not technically correct on something, it just drives me nuts. So I have to acknowledge it and then proceed. But that's besides the point. <laughs> so either way, so what we do is we just go over like, you know, what's going on in the past week for you. You can say what's going on past month or whatever, uh, but a positive and maybe something that you're working on or places for opportunity or something that's kind of a pain in the butt. So um, that's what this little section's about. So who wants to kick us off? I'll, I'll do it. I'm, I'm fresh off of uh, vacation in the Adirondacks and uh, floating in a, with a boat and just looking at the woods. So that was fantastic. And the day before we left for that trip, it was um company picnic uh celebrating you know the hard work done this year years of service some spotlights with some folks and uh and just just being able to be around the team a little different but um so that was good and then just we're coming upon the school year and i have a uh a principal for a wife and she is about redlined as and you could think any principal would be right now and i'm just constantly thinking about her health and and melt and mental stability with just getting through this and just wanting her to have a chance to relax. So she's on my mind. Kids are on my mind. Let's get through this kind of new world of it, but good things going on at the business. So I'm happy about that. Nice. Uh, I guess I'll go next. Um, so uh, a rose has been uh, that I go on vacation in two days. So Saturday I had down to, Sandbridge Island and just off of Virginia Beach. It's a nice quiet island. I'll be down there with a whole family. So it'll be eight of us since my sister is now married. So you got an extra family member on that trip. So that'll be cool. Kind of self-quarantined and cooking away and got the beach and got the house. Maybe a little bit of golf, a bit of fishing. So I'm looking forward to that. It's been it's been as been a big push up to this point. So it'll be nice to get off on that. I don't really have any negatives. I mean, just, I think the negative is just like this wait until vacation. You know, it's like, you kind of get in this mind like two days out and you're like, oh, I know it's there. I know I have a ton of stuff to do, but then you're like, ah, I'll get to it when I get back. But that's it for me. Well, similar to you, Miles, my vacation starts this weekend, going away for three days to what sounded like a phenomenal idea at the time. It's a uh, like health or, or like life balance or something resort out in the Berkshires in mass. Um, but they like basically take your cell phone at check-in. So there's no technology, there's no screens for the whole three days. And now I'm wondering if this is going to be a Rose or a Thorn experience because it's <laughs> <laughs> kind of a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll you know, see. 
I, I actually live in uh, Warwick, Rhode Island now, but um, I, I worked for Case Snow in North Attleboro, Mass, and uh, lived in Hopkinton for a while, Franklin, Mass. So, oh, so we're neighbors. Yeah, real close, but not 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 on Cape. So you're not, not a really Cape neighbors. Botter. Yeah, we yeah. call ourselves boggers. Yeah, well, see, I'm not one. I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go. Um, so obviously, as a father of four. Um, my oldest son's a senior in high school. They just canceled football in Massachusetts. It's been a big part of our life. I've coached for 25 years and um, it's been um, challenging to, as a family, it's been such a family affair for us for so long. This will be the first time in 25 years I'm not on a football field every Saturday and Sunday. If my son is a senior in high school. It's been a lot to swallow. So um, I'm fortunate that I have a very close family and great kids, but it's, uh, I feel bad for my kids right now. And, uh, you know, they're, it's, a, it's a hard time to be a teenager. I have a 18-year-old son, a 16-year-old son, a 14-year-old son all in high school, and then a little girl who's going into sixth grade. I just, my heart goes out to all the kids in this country right now with the challenges that we have. Um, on a good note, business is good. I'm very pleased. And uh, my wife and I took a little time off over the weekend and got away. And it was awesome. We had a blast together. So all in all, with all the challenges this world has, life is good. Where does someone that lives on Cape Cod go for vacation when everybody goes to Cape Cod? I went 20 minutes down the road. <laughs> this place we like. Um, it's, Perfect. I'm a creature of habit. You don't need to take, you know, when you're on the Cape, you don't leave the Cape. That's just, that's your whole world. Right. right as you know, I can have fun in a paper bag, so you don't need to send me too far. <laughs> oh. You got a picture of that probably somewhere too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll wrap us up here. Um, uh, roses I had a lot lately, actually, um, had a, uh, crew leader who I had been uh, working with for a little while had been giving me a little bit of trouble and uh, things have really been turning around a lot lately with him doing some coaching uh, veteran crew leader and uh, I mean, almost got to the point where I thought maybe we were going to have to part ways but uh, he's done a complete 180 and uh, gotten back onto the correct track which has been really nice um, and you know gotten some time to my to myself lately I'm house sitting for a family member and uh so kind of a you know not going anywhere on vacation or anything but nice to uh have a little change of scenery for a week or so got to play some golf go out boating weather's been uh, beautiful around here so um thorns uh business-wise really nothing i had a nice uh plumbing disaster last night with the kitchen sink that uh had to deal with it about nine thirty, ten o'clock at night, which wasn't wasn't real fun. But uh, but other than that, uh, like I what said, what time do you get up in the morning? Uh, I usually try and get up at about five. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> pulling pulling apart the kitchen sink and the garbage disposal at uh, at uh, nine thirty, ten o'clock at night wasn't uh, wasn't <laughs> wasn't on my agenda last night. So, um, but other than that, everything's been been really good and uh, good things are going well. So nice. Well, that's good to hear. Man, it just always seems like this. This is like always just like the kind of the the rose and the the rose, it's, which is a good thing, you know. It, like a, like a it would resolve positive. your whole thorn prickle debate if you just cut it entirely. You know? Yeah, yeah, we can just cut it. You say the rose. There you go. The rose and what's bothering you? Not even that. But anyways, all right. Well, Chris, hey, we appreciate you coming on. 
This was an awesome discussion. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, yes. thank you for uh, taking the time out of your day, Chris. Yeah, no, we really appreciate it. Um, also, big thank you to our listeners. Young Professionals Network appreciates, appreciates your support. As always, let us know what you want to hear by leaving a review, a review or sending an email to youngprofessionals at landscapeprofessionals.org. Don't forget to tune in next Thursday for another great episode. All right. We'll take care, everyone. Have a good one. All right. Yeah. Catch you next week.